This episode of the Missions Podcast is sponsored by the Global Gospel Fund. You know, here on the show, we're driven by the conviction that eternity matters, time is short, and missionaries should be free to do the work that God has called them to do. Unfortunately, too many missionaries lose precious man hours managing the logistics of moving overseas, navigating visa structures, figuring out how to educate their kids, finding insurance, and more. And people who try to go it alone in missions without an agency don't usually realize how intense some of this work can be until it's too late. The Global Gospel Fund has a solution. Each gift to the Global Gospel Fund allows ABWE to serve more than a thousand missionaries with vital ministry-shaping resources, leadership, planning, care, and counseling by a team of more than 70 experts at our headquarters who know them by name, are praying for them, and are cheering them on. If you're burdened for missions this giving season but aren't sure how to best invest, the Global Gospel Fund is a great way to bless gospel-focused missionaries doing real evangelism, real church planting, and real compassion work across 70 countries. Become a Global Gospel Fund partner today at abwe.org slash globalgospelfund and enjoy today's show. Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. My name is Alex Kofin, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE. Having a little fun in the studio here today with Scott Dunford, Vice President of Mobilization and Communication. Yeah, I was excited. I was thinking maybe you're going to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> well, I, we, we can't break format out. now. We're, we're dialed in. <laughs> we have it locked in. I wanted to do something a little bit different on today's episode. Ooh, that sounds exciting. It does. Um, like I, NPR level excitement here. <laughs> um, but we wanted to have a, a conversation about what is at the base of missions. It's very easy to talk about do, 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 and go, go, go. We forget why we're going. We forget what's at the center of it all. And that doesn't just happen in missions, but it happens in any area of the church, any area of ministry, of work, of life, which is that we're in real danger of just forgetting the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. If we're not in danger of forgetting the facts of the gospel, we're at least in danger of letting it no longer be at the center. And so I wanted to spend some time today talking a little bit about what is the gospel? Why are we going to the world? What is the message that we're going to share? What is the message that's supposed to be forming and shaping us? And also, how does that change missions for us? What would a gospel-centered approach to missions actually look like? Would that be different from what we see in some places? So, Scott, I see you pulling out your Bible. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that's good. That's Don't give away all my secrets. I'm hoping people think I've got it all memorized. Well, and we invite our listeners, though, too. If you're not driving or if you're not on a treadmill listening to this, grab your Bible, too. We, we want to dive in together and talk about what is the gospel. And, Scott, when, when you hear that question, what is the gospel, where do you go? The center of missions is sharing the gospel. It's preaching and proclaiming a message, right? It's a it's an announcement. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's too reductionistic to to go back to what we probably all learned is our first Bible verse, and that's John three sixteen. I mean, it's now granted that isn't probably the first verse you go to in every region of the world, but mm-hmm. it does it does really highlight what's going on there. You know, that God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus Christ, uh, his son to die for our sins, that whoever believes in him has eternal life. I mean, that is an an important message that we can't really move past. Yeah. And so our role as messengers of that, we're making an announcement. 
this is news that's being broadcast, right? Is is essentially, I think, what we would put at the bottom of the missionary task is evangelism. We're we're sitting here at ABWE Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. We talk about our founder in yeah. this story. You know, he was told to stop sharing the gospel. And if you look at even in the gospels, you know, Mark is probably the first gospel that was written. And you start at, you see right in the very beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, and then it begins to unfold this message of proclaiming and exalting Jesus as a king. Um, and uh, I think that, that that can't be overlooked. And you see it, you know, I'm working through Isaiah right now, just in my own personal time in the word. And, you know, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who preach good news, who publish salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Um, this idea that when we go into all the world, we're not going primarily to either colonialize or to do humanitarian work or social welfare work or, or whatever it is, we're going because we have news, we have an announcement. And it, it differs centrally, I think, from any other religious message in that it's falsifiable. It's historically grounded. There's truth and there's error. Look at a religion like Buddhism. It's literally one man sitting under a tree, arriving at what he feels are some of the deep philosophical principles of life. Mm -hmm. There's more to it than that, of course. I don't want to oversimplify it, but many religions are that. They are uh, one person or a group of people's ideas about what works, what may be true. Uh, but Christianity is an historic religion. Um, it, it makes historic truth claims that can be falsified. When I think of what is the gospel, I go to 1 Corinthians 15. We use the word gospel sometimes too broadly you know, as an adjective, gospel music, gospel-centered, gospel-driven. But the gospel has a very narrow definition, at least here in Scripture. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So notice it's scriptural. So it's rooting it in the rest of the revelation that had been given to the Jewish community. Yeah. The promises that there was one coming who would, who would save people from sin, from, from God's wrath, from death and hell. It says in verse five, and he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. This is where we get to. It's a historic claim and you could falsify it. You could go to some of these witnesses and disprove it at the time that this was written very shortly after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. But it wasn't falsified. Though some of them have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, Paul says, he also appeared to me. So at its center, we would define the gospel as the good news of Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, his rule as, as king of kings, lord of lords, to, to save his people, that, that Jesus died for sins, that he, he's the judge now, and that because of him, anyone from any tribe or nation or any religious background can turn from sin trust in him, be saved, and join his kingdom. That's that's what we're talking about, and that's an announcement. How does that maybe filter the way that we think about missions? It's such a basic question, but there are approaches to missions that don't necessarily put that at the center, or they claim to, but in practice, other things are coming first. Well, well Paul... You know, he, he has another beautiful summary of the gospel in First Corinthians chapter five, um, where he says, "For for our sake, he." Second uh, Corinthians. I'm oh, sorry. Second right? Corinthians okay. five. Yep. Sorry. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God, which is a, a, a beautiful summation of the gospel. But um, I think that's also rooted in 
and what comes you know, before that, where it says uh, in, in verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Um, and also um, that we've been in, and also in second Corinthians chapter five, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Um, we're, we're, re- we're reconciling man to God. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, there's this beautiful aspect that's at the heart of the Christian mission, um, which is knowing and fearing the Lord, um, Understanding that there is that there's that judgment, that eschatological judgment that everyone will face. The terror of the Lord is a real thing, and mm. and sometimes we kind of dumb that down, um, and we're we're persuading men to to repent and believe and be reconciled to God. So it's a very hopeful message, but it's also a message that does have uh, teeth to it. Yeah, I, I think you know you you bring up the eschatology side of it, eschatology being the doctrine of last things, and typically when people think about that, they think of the return of Jesus. They think about controversies over marks of the beast and, and you know, is the Antichrist going to be someone named Nikolai Carpathia from Russia? Yep. Uh, but, and if you don't understand that reference, that's okay. <laughs> but, um, you just got left behind. <laughs> for, for God's community of the Jews prior to Christ's coming, there was this assumption that there's, there's these two ages. There's the here and now, and then there's the age where God is going to come. He's going to set all wrongs right. He's going to judge all sin and the dead are going to be raised and bring back this perfect Edenic world. There's that, that, that basic thinking and, and people are looking forward to that day. Um, what's distinctive about the gospel and this forms the, everything that Paul and the other apostles talk about is that that age to come has broken into the present. Mm. Right. So the reason in second Corinthians five and in other places we're going and we're calling people to be reconciled to God is because in, in a very real sense, that day has dawned already uh, that that the judgment of God, even though it's future, has already come in terms of the fact that Jesus bearing the sins of his people has been judged by God. He faced the final judgment already. And by virtue of that judgment, also believers who are identified with him, God declares that they are righteous. And so there's an aspect of judgment that's already happened. And so now we live in this time where that age to come has already started in a sense, and we're looking forward to when it's fully consummated. But that's how you get language like in Acts chapter 17 of Paul saying and looking out over the pagan world, and this is where missions comes in. He looks out over the unbelieving world in a sense when he's standing at the Areopagus and he says, God used to tolerate letting all the nations wander their ways, uh, but now they're called to repent. And he's given proof of this uh, by raising uh, this one from the dead, this man to whom judgment has been entrusted. So because of that, the, the announcement goes out. Because in our culture, it's very unpopular to, to say that there's only one way to God. You know, yeah. We as an organization, we're committed to the exclusivity of Christ. Oh, just yesterday, I was reading a journal article um, of a missionary in India. Um, and this was an older article uh, from, you know, from the 1950s or maybe even earlier than that. But making, you know, talking about the, the Hindu understanding of, of conversion um, and, and their views of that. And, and you know, and he brought us some, some good points about Hindu culture and, and Indian culture. But then his view of understanding was like, hey, you know, maybe maybe someone will want to follow Jesus. But our goal isn't to try to convince them that they need Jesus, because mm-hmm. the truth is there's a lot of good truth in, in Hinduism as well. And they can be 
just as happy staying in Hinduism and finding God their way as they could coming, you know, coming through Christianity and finding God that way. And I'm like, here's a Christian missionary who doesn't see the gospel at center at all. And, and yet, and then how weird it becomes when he's talking about evangelism, um, because he still was trying to advocate for some kind of evangelism, but without any kind of like need for repentance or an urgency of following Christ. It was more of like, Hey, if it works for you to follow it through Jesus, that's great. If it works for you to follow it through Vedic tradition, that's okay too. And, uh, it was, it was very unsatisfying. Right. Cause somebody could object Scott and Alex, I've been listening to you for a while. I understand, you know, we're talking about, there's only one way to, to be saved. Jesus says on the way, the truth and the life, right? That there's the exclusivity of Christ, but we can't assume that we, you and I know of a missions agency that within the last few years had to dismiss a missionary for converting to Islam. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is real pressure when you get out into the world, when maybe you spend more time exegeting a foreign culture than exegeting scripture, that it can be tempting to dial back on the fact that there's a narrow way, right? And it can be a real temptation. So sometimes you hear people talk about um, this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Now, growing up in my, the circles I grew up in, there was a heavy emphasis being placed on, you put a stake in the ground. You know, if you prayed a prayer when you were five, you put a stake in the ground, you wrote it in your Bible, you, you know, you got it laminated. And whenever Satan would, you know, (laughs) make you think about doubting, you would always go back to, okay, at that moment and place and time, I prayed a prayer. And that is final. Um, Your fire insurance. It was was really heavily emphasized. You know, I know the intentions were very good. um, But so I'm just curious, Alex, when when someone says in your mind, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day, or you need to keep believing the gospel, uh, does that mean that someone loses their salvation? Or what does that mean to you when you're thinking about that? That's a good question. uh, Because in missions, it's not just going and seeing people convert to faith in Christ and believe this message, but it's also disciples meaning training people in a life of following Jesus, right? So that continued element of the Christian life. Well, that is it. Like it, even in today's discussions, it, it's a common argument of like, well, what is the gospel? Is, is the gospel simply, can it simply be reduced to, you know, um, the four spiritual laws or can it simply be reduced to the Romans road? For those of you who remember that term, yeah. is it simply, you know, just the, the process or the, um, the, the moment of of uh, regeneration um, or, or is there's a gospel bigger than that? And there's there's two things that I would say there. I, I think you would agree. One is that the gospel is not conversion. The gospel is not individual conversion. The gospel is not its effects. The gospel is not I am justified. Those are all things that happen from the gospel, Mm -hmm. flow out of the gospel. But the gospel is first, before any of those things, it's an announcement of what Jesus has done to save Mm -hmm. his people. An announcement of a reality. Yeah, finished reality. How how that filters down to my life, whether or not I believe that and repent and am thereby justified, sanctified, glorified, that is separate. My response to the gospel is not the gospel, right? So so to preach the gospel to myself every day doesn't mean going to my spiritual birth certificate and saying, you know, on, on June 25th, you know, 1995, I prayed this prayer. It doesn't mean that. It means going back to that finished objective reality of, of what Christ has done, not, not an inward subjective reality. But the other thing that I would say is, is that there's a good reductionism and a bad reductionism. 
So I, I think a poor reductionism would be, let's take the four spiritual laws, for instance, since you referenced that, um, not denigrating anyone who's used that in their evangelism, uh, because it's, it is true that uh, in the, God loves you and has a plan for your life. I, you can obviously take that too far, but like it, those four individual points, there's plenty of truth in them. It can be a very valid summary of the gospel, but that was... Uh, originally in the context of doing evangelism uh, among a lot of people who were in their twilight years in communities in Florida, uh, people who were thinking about death, the end of life. And so that's where you get questions like, if you were to die today, where would you go? That's one contextualized presentation of the gospel meant to push people towards a decision the four spiritual laws is not going to communicate everything that needs to be communicated about the gospel to everybody. So I, I would say there's poor forms of reductionism, but then there's also a biblical type of reductionism and maybe a reductionism is the wrong word where you have Paul saying in first Corinthians to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Paul reduces the gospel to the cross and to the resurrection right. there. Um, and that's, that's valid. So we're kind of venturing into some areas that could be controversial. Let's just make it really clear. You're just speaking for Alex. I'm just speaking for Scott. We're not speaking sure. for the organization or you know anything yeah. else. Well, in our organization, for. we also talk a lot about chronological Bible storytelling yeah. as a key method of evangelism, the, telling the whole story of the Bible from creation to redemption. I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but you also asked a good question mm-hmm. that we, we didn't quite get to yet, sure. which was staying saved, right? And discipleship. And does that mean, you know, is the gospel just for getting into the kingdom? And two passages that maybe we can talk about. One was what we started with in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Where Paul says in verse two, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. So the Christian life is a clinging onto the gospel continually, um, you, you don't get saved by believing the gospel and then you turn on to something else. You turn down this. All right. Now I'm going to do, you know, 10 practical steps for mm-hmm. personal discipleship. It, all of the Christian life is a clinging onto the gospel um, until the final day of salvation when we're in glory. And you have a similar thought from Paul in um, in Colossians chapter one in verse 22 and 23. He talks about you'll be presented blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Mm -hmm. So, so continued belief in the gospel is the bedrock of the Christian life. I think you're definitely showing it from like the human perspective of like, what's our response to the gospel. There's a whole nother aspect of what's going on there with Christ sustaining. And and that is Paul's hope there too, that in all of that, like, yeah, you're sustaining, you're holding on, but Christ is holding on to you at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's something, there's a discussion that's happening in the broader Christian community, conservative evangelical community that I think does spill over into the, into missions. You hear this phrase a lot. This is a gospel issue. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And um, and then the discussion of like, you know, you're confusing the gospel. And so I, I think what's happening there is two very different perspectives on on how they're defining that term gospel. We've kind of defined it 
broadly, and I think we're both in agreement that it is the declaration of the inbreaking of God's kingdom and onto the earth through the person of Jesus Christ. His, you know, his incarnation, his sinless life, his fulfilling of the law, it's his death, it's his resurrection, it's his coming, it's his ascension, and then and then the coming consummation of all things in in judgment and glorification, right? Yeah. And yet there are some that that hear people talk and say that phrase social justice, you know, or uh, race relations or abortion, abortion or gospel issue. Uh, poverty reduction. And that's a gospel issue. And then others are saying, no way could that be a gospel issue. What do you think is happening there? I've got my my theory, but I, I would love to hear yours. Yeah, I mean, that's the tricky thing. I mean, words have objective meanings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, gospel is not an adjective typically, right? And we use it as one, you know, I mean, gospel, you know, comes from the Greek euangelion, right? Which, which is is, nerd alert. (laughs) Well, but euangelion means Mm -hmm. good news. And that has a technical meaning that even goes back to the old Testament. So it's that technical announcement there. So that that's the problem with buzzwords is that they elude meaning. Um, So I, I think if we're talking about, you know, what is definitional to the gospel? None of those things are definitional to the gospel because the gospel is not the poor being lifted up in society or even saving the unborn. The gospel is not that, right? We've talked about the gospel is what Jesus has done and does to save sinners through faith alone. But I, th- I think there's another way to maybe read that charitably, you know, uh, saying something as a, quote, gospel issue, meaning this is a very real implication of the gospel that's like if you're going to embrace who Jesus is and what Jesus taught the implication is you're going to live like this right and 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 that has effects on society and so from that standpoint a lot of things are quote gospel issues yeah and this is where like the charges of reductionism come up you know you're just reducing it to one small part of the gospel well you can't deny that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is at the heart and the foundation of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, so I, I, part of me resonates with those that are saying like, let's get back to the gospel, meaning like we need to proclaim that. And there is a real danger in the missions community, but also in the church at large of getting away from that, taking it for granted, taking it for granted or, or just it, it's unpopular. It feels weird to our, to our, you know, current modern sentiment to be talking about, you know, Jesus dying for me and his blood being shed and a physical resurrection. And it just seems also mystical. And it is. And so I, I understand why some would want to kind of narrow in on that key part since that is so so often rejected. But I also, I think it's helpful to think of the idea of, of the gospel. If it is truly the message and announcement of Jesus Christ as King and right here, right now. Yeah. And all of that entails, then I think you can rightly say that, yeah, Isaiah is part of, is the, the messages of Isaiah are, are gospel. When he's saying the, the poor need to be taken care of, and there needs to be justice for the widow and, and uh, Leviticus, which talks about, you know, the law and God's attitude and stance towards certain practices. Some of them were, you know, certainly time, like time bound and social and others, you know, are, are broader than that, um, moral in nature. Um, my perspective on those things, we can also say those are gospel issues as well in the broader sense of saying, because um, it's the whole story. 
And you can't take out pieces of the story and the fact that God is reconciling all things to himself um, and the Christian life should be showing uh, the evidence of of the fruit of the kingdom in our lives, the fruit of the spirit and the, the growth of the church. All of those things ought to be showing. Those are also part of the gospel story. So I can understand where both sides are coming from. And I think we have to be really careful on how we're using terms. Yeah. I feel like both sides are kind of talk past each other in that. Very discussion. much. So I think there's two, two false dichotomies. Well, at least one of them is false, <laughs> but that, that, that can be overblown in our thinking and perpetuate some of this misunderstanding. One is understanding the, the good and necessary biblical distinction between law and gospel. Um, so if the gospel is the finished announcement of what Christ has done, the law is what we are required to do as image bearers at its most basic level. That's what the law is. So I used to be on staff at a church and I had a conversation with a woman. I might have shared this story on the podcast before, but I was having a conversation with a woman at the church, um, interviewing her to serve in ministry, uh, to be volunteering with the youth group. And um, I kicked off the interview with a question that I pretty much have used in in any interview in a ministry context to find for me the gospel. Uh, And she said, well, the gospel is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, which, you know, culturally, that answer has a certain resonance to it, right? The the resonance of that is, yeah, the gospel is, you know, ultimately God's a nice guy. Yeah. He just wants you to love him and, and he wants everybody to get along and then he'll let you into heaven and and uh, and you should really hang out with God and get to know him. That, that That's kind of how that's heard. Yeah. Probably how it was meant. We dug a little bit deeper in, into conversation. This woman, she had a she had an Episcopalian background and she had no understanding of the gospel. It was new to her. We talked. She was not safe. She had not been converted. Actually, about three months later, she was converted and it was amazing. And there was immediate fruit that was visible in her life. Um, she had confessed and turned from some sins that she was struggling with. Um, she was baptized. Beautiful story. But it started with asking that question. And she actually answered with giving you a definition of the law. The law, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, that was, I said, the law is what sends you to hell. <laughs> uh, the law is what says love God and love neighbor. Well, I've never done that a day in my life, right? So is the law gospel? No. <laughs> love God and love neighbor in society or in my personal life. That doesn't save me. That that condemns me because I don't live up to that standard. But the other dichotomy is is between this, you know, personal eschatological salvation, right? My soul going off to heaven to some wispy floaty place someday versus God's kingdom being here and now. And we separate these two things. And um, the, the problem with that is, is that the gospel isn't just about saving you so that you can go there someday. So the law shows you your sinner. Yeah. You turn to the gospel. The gospel says, all right, now you're saved. You're redeemed. How do you live now? And it turns you back to the law. Right. It turns you back to this law of liberty, this, this, uh, the law of the spirit that says, love God, love neighbor, um, both in society and at the individual level. So, so really the gospel is not just about getting you out of here, but it's the gospel becomes this central animating principle in your life that does feed how you deal with family, how you deal with your church, your community, your neighborhood, your workplace. It informs all of these areas. Uh, And I think if we don't have right categories, law and gospel, then we can get a little bit confused. Um, But you can even push that category distinction too far as well. 
because there's a, a pastor that I heard a little while ago saying the, the difference between gospel and law isn't that God on the one hand gives you a set of rules that's arbitrary and detached. And then on the other hand, he saves you because even when the 10 commandments are given, how does it start? It starts with grace, uh-huh. starts with gospel, right? I am the Lord uh, who redeemed you, who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore don't have any other gods before me. It starts with grace. Yeah. So if you have a, if you have a gospel heart, then everything that you receive from God's word from Genesis to Revelation is gospel. If you have a grace heart, if you have a law heart, a hard heart, then even the good news is like a law to you. I remember hearing John Piper uh, quote John Bunyan talking about law and grace and saying John Bunyan had this little phrase, a little poem that he had written. Run, John, run, the law demands, Mm -hmm. but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Um, I I love that because it kind of sets that up. Like the law isn't bad, um, but it does condemn us. It's good. The gospel We're bad. gives us the grace and ability to, to do that. Um, but I also think it's important for us to, to understand that the gospel also shouldn't just be reduced to that that moment. Yeah. Um, the gospel also has to be understood as um, the fact that Christ is the king and that his kingdom is breaking into the world and that the role of the church is to live out the, the just and right rule of Jesus and yeah. And call people to reconciliation with him, but also live out his his will. So he sanctifies everyone that he justifies. So in that sense, I could easily say, yes, uh, ra- racial racial issues are gospel issues because for the Christian, at least. Yeah. If I'm, if it it's, rebe- a sin issue. If it, it's revealed in my heart that I am not loving my neighbor as I ought to love them and that I'm harboring some kind of superiority uh, for whatever reason, and certainly race would be race would be part of that, um, that I'm revealing something that some, something fundamentally opposite of the gospel. Uh, th- that's really helpful, I think, because there's a lot of talk about it's very easy for us to conflate doing good on the social level in humanitarian work with the task of missionaries. And I, th- I think on this show, we advocate that that model of, of gospel-centered cultural transformation where it starts with the gospel. The, the missionary's task is not to go out and improve the public school system of India. Uh-huh. The missionary's task is to preach the gospel and plant churches that can impact their communities send more missionaries, preach the gospel, and have a positive effect on school systems or any other systems nearby. It starts there, and then it it engages the rest. Some of the listeners may know I'm doing a lot of work on Hinduism right now. One of the big criticisms that Hindus generally have about Christianity is that Mm -hmm. they see Christianity as a creedal religion, um, not as a practical spirituality, not a spiritual life, because they're always hearing Christians say, come believe this, come believe this proposition. Here is our list of dogmas and doctrines that you must accept, and then you can become a Christian. And and yet Hinduism isn't a, a, a religion with dogmas and decrees and doctrine. It's a religion that focuses on spirituality. And so 
Yeah. Christianity is both. We have creeds that we can't it let ought go to be of. both. Yeah. It's supposed to be both. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think so much of that criticism is true because how much are we really focusing on living out the life of Christ? Are we really um, invested in in knowing Him and living out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and and investing in getting to know Christ, spending time with Him in prayer, in the Word, in the spiritual disciplines? That would be reflected in our heart attitudes. And when when peoples of other cultures run into Christianity on the march, you know, yeah. um, the the militant arm of Christianity that they, they, they tend to see the good deeds we're doing as means to an end to get you to make a confession of something yeah. that, and move you out of their social group into another social group that could destabilize the whole way of yeah. life for them. Um, we've missed it. We've got to be rich in our understanding of the gospel not just in our creedal affirmations, but also in our deep, rich, spiritual and devotional life, living out the fruit of the Spirit. Right. Now, we, we shouldn't necessarily put too much stock in the opinions of of unbelievers, what they their opinion of our mission, because ultimately the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. But they can point out our blind God. spots. But they can point out our blind spots, yeah. correct. And that's the indictment that we have in the gospels. Uh, from Jesus' own lips of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. that they crossed land and sea to make a single proselyte. Uh. And when they did, <laughs> yeah, this is a missionary verse that you don't hear preached on too often. And when they made this proselyte, mm-hmm. they made him twice as much a son of hell as they themselves were. Uh. And and that is, um, we have to be willing to hold up the mirror and God have mercy. Yeah. And, and say we we can be so focused on going to the nations that we're not really focused on where we stand with Jesus. You know, ultimately, the, the missionary has to believe the gospel and be saved. Not everyone who's interested in missions always is saved. We talked about that with Caleb Suko on our episode of Calling, mm-hmm. that uh, there's some people who are interested in missions who aren't uh, haven't, haven't had that, that come to Jesus moment themselves. Another episode that we'd recommend to our listeners on this topic is our episode that we did with Jared C. Wilson on why missionaries need the gospel and what does it look like to preach the gospel to yourself every day and to focus on that message of grace that we need in a very performance-driven culture. We hope this conversation has been helpful for you guys, and we would love to hear your thoughts. Email alex at missionspodcast.com or email scott. It's sdunford, D-U-N-F-O-R-D, at abwe.org. But we want to continue to engage on this issue. There's a lot here that we could talk about, and we hope this is an encouragement to you. Scott, do you have any final words? Thank you for that conversation, and I hope it wasn't too confusing. (laughs) Um, Certainly helpful for me and a challenge to me as well. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. And until next time, thank you for joining us.